Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors presented by FMG Suite. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Mark Sheff. I'm certain many of you will recall seeing Mark's byline in investment news. He covers legislation and regulations affecting both reps and RIAs. Consider this podcast your Washington, D.C. state of the state. Mark and I talk about incoming SEC chair Gary Ginsler and what his priorities will be over the next few years. Mark and I also check in on what's next for regulation best interest. Next, we take a look at what tax initiatives look like they have legs and what ideas are simply trial balloons. One thing is certain, taxes are heading higher this year, according to Mark. Mark and I also touch on ESG investing and the momentum it's gaining on Wall Street and in Washington. Then we finish up with a fast pitch and talk about the SEC's updated advertising rule, Wall Street bets and Robinhood, and we take a close look at some Bitcoin insights, a passion of new incoming chair, Gary Gensler. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Spread the word. Mark, great to have you on the podcast today. Hey, Mike, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Gosh, it's great to have you. I'm certain many of our listeners recall seeing your byline in investment news. Uh, you're based out of uh, Washington, D.C., and you cover legislation, regulations uh, for retail investment advisors and brokers. So you're right right in the mainstream for us. Uh, um, what you may not realize, though, uh, of some of our listeners is that Mark has been on both sides of the journalism equation. He also served as a press secretary for the late Senator Richard Luger of Indiana. That's a, that's a rare combo, Mark. <laughs> well, it, uh, it is. And I, I've made the... Uh, somewhat unusual migration uh, going from communications to journalism, one side of the journalism e- ecosystem to the other. It's a little bit like a, a salmon swimming <laughs> stream. But uh, I, I uh, moved to journalism in uh, 2005, so 16 years now, as a, as a reporter. And um, I, uh, I did work for Senator Luger in the uh, mid-'90s, and ever since then, I've, I've, my job has, one way or the other, taken me up to the hill. Uh, it's just that I don't work there anymore. What I do now is I cover committee hearings and, and members of Congress. Uh, for instance, I write about the Senate Banking Committee, House, uh, the House Financial Services Committee, Senate Finance Committee, House Ways and Means. And, of course, I cover the regulators, the SEC, uh, DOL, and FINRA. Gosh, you've had no shortage of activity. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, especially lately uh, over the past couple of years, never, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Yeah, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna, hopefully, we're gonna cut right down Main Street with you. So, uh, what uh, today we're gonna bounce uh, from topic to topic uh, so we can hear uh, Mark on a number of issues because as you as as you heard there, listeners, Mark is uh, um, really kind of plugged into what's going on. And so the, so first up, Mark, let's talk about regulation best interest. Um, uh, last week, as part of my continuing ed as a registered rep, I took an hour-long training on red, reg buy, and I was struck by how much the definition, how much, how much more that rule has been defined 
uh, in the past year. Uh, you've been writing about Reagan, uh, Reg by and how it's uh, being interpreted mm -hmm. by the courts. Can you give everybody an idea of what's going on and what you see happening with Reg by over the next year? Absolutely. What I'm looking for is the first enforcement case on regulation best ah, interest. Interesting. And I, I believe that's what everyone in compliance, and for that matter, <laughs> all advisors and brokers are sort of waiting for. The, the regulation went into force on June 30th. The first uh, six months or so, the SEC told uh, brokers uh, just to make a good faith effort to comply with the rule. Right. But now, as of January, the exams and the enforcement are becoming tougher. They're looking for more than just a good faith effort. Uh, the, the good faith effort was put into place because advisory for uh, brokerage firms were still dealing. I mean, they're continuing to deal with disruptions caused by the pandemic and so forth. Right. But now the SEC and FINRA are going to drill down and see how the um, uh, brokerage firms are doing in terms of uh, writing policies and procedures to comply with Reg BI and whether they're following those policies and procedures. The bottom line on Reg BI is that um, brokers cannot put their own interests ahead of the the interests of uh, their clients. Right. Right. Uh, but um, that leaves a lot of room for interpretation. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see where uh, um, brokerages run afoul of the regulation. It is principles-based, which sometimes can be translated as who knows. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, right. um, uh, so that's, that's what I'm looking for anyway, is how will enforcement uh, proceed? Yeah, I guess I was, I was struck on the training with um, how, because, uh, you, you know, as, as I'm in addition to being a, a I'm also a registered rep and uh, I go through ongoing training and um, with the right. training last uh, that I just took last week uh, it was about an hour on regulation by and I mm -hmm. was just surprised at how mu how how much more thought had gone into it because mm -hmm. where I I had picked up on it maybe four or five months ago where I left it off and now I'm picking back up on it and uh, it, it's it it, right. it is there's there's a lot more attention to detail because you're right that uh, when it was passed, the deadline wasn't extended, even though many deadlines were. And the SEC right. said, make your best effort. But uh, um, I guess the uh, I, I guess that um, that uh, what I want, that honeymoon period is over. Now, yes, now, the, the grace period is ended. Yeah, yes. now it's going to come down to how yes. they do it. Um, do you see? Do you see? Do you right. see the new administration is coming in and revising Reg by, or do you see them embracing it, or how do you see the Biden administration working with the rule? It it this is an interesting question and something that we'll all be watching when Gary Gensler is confirmed mm -hmm. by the Senate. Gensler is an aggressive regulator. He proved that at the community at the Commodity Futures right. Trading Commission when he headed the CFTC. Will he uh, try to overhaul Reg BI or will he try to uh, sort of shape and, and chisel it? Now, even investor advocates are urging him to, to keep the Reg BI framework in place, but to revise it so that there's a clear definition of what best interest means and there's a clearer explanation 
of how brokers can mitigate conflicts mm, and uh, everyone, in, in, investor advocates and brokerages uh, and even investment advisors uh, want the SEC to revisit form CRS and maybe uh, revise how that is put together because what we're hearing is that um, Reg BI is, is two or four pages depending on whether you're an advisor or broker, standalone or um, duly registered. It's, it's two pages if you're a standalone, four pages if you're duly registered. It's just a dense, difficult to read mashup of information is, is what everyone is saying. So, so surely they'll, they'll, they'll take another swipe at um, form CRS. And remember, investment advisors are also uh, perhaps going to uh, see some um, uh, um, SEC activity on a, another portion of the, of the Reg BI regulatory package, which was the SEC's interpretation of the Investment Advisors Act fiduciary standard. Mm. So, so perhaps there will be uh, also some SEC activity in that area. Reg BI is a regulatory package that went beyond just brokers, and that's something that especially advisors, investment advisors, need to keep in mind. Right, right. Yeah, I know. I know some of the compliance people I talk to. You know, they they do a little bit of crying uncle. First, it was uh, Department of Labor, then it was Reg BI, and now yeah. now something new. So. They're, they're, they're certainly right. in shape for rule changes, but they would like to uh, really kind of, um, I, I guess, kind of continue to build out and embrace the ones they have. But, uh, but we shall see. Right. So, mm -hmm. so as you know, some states like Massachusetts and Nevada, they've passed more aggressive regulation than reg by. How, how do you see that yes. situation resolving itself? It, it, to, to me, it would be, boy, it would be a real tough to be a registered rep in, uh, in Nevada or Massachusetts. You wouldn't, uh, you, it would be very hard to meet the regulatory challenges. The regulatory challenges you face as a broker depends on the state that you're sure. in. In Massachusetts, there's already a, a fiduciary rule that's been implemented. It, it was implemented last September. And so in Massachusetts, we're waiting on the first enforcement case. And in fact, the first enforcement case maybe the Robin Hood suit uh. that, that Bill Galvin filed, uh, the Secretary of the Commonwealth there, the Chief Securities Regulation, Regulator in Massachusetts, he filed a suit, uh, I guess it was in December, that alleged that uh, Reg BI, I mean, sorry, um, uh, Robin, Robin Hood right? violated the Massachusetts fiduciary standard uh, by um, uh, through gamification uh, and... and um, luring in uh, young people to trade on the platform, luring in being a paraphrase of, of, of what, what Galvin alleges it is. He says that's a violation of Reg BI. Uh, Robin Hood says, no, it's not. We didn't violate the Massachusetts standard because we don't give advice on our platform. Our platform is purely for trading. Interesting. So we may have the first Reg BI test case, the first, I'm sorry, the first um, Massachusetts fiduciary rule test case uh, with the uh, coming in the um, in the Robin Hood suit. Now, New Jersey and Nevada have not finalized their fiduciary rules. Both are on hold. Nevada's has been on hold for a couple of years, actually. New Jersey's has been on hold for more than a year. And what I what we're going to look for there is: do these blue states 
um, uh, sort of stand down on their own fiduciary rules because the Biden administration now uh, has put a Democratic majority at the SEC. So what these states might do is wait for the SEC to make a move on revising Greg B.I. and sort of hold their fire. They were chomping at the bit during the Trump administration because they were saying, hey, they alleged that, that the Trump administration had no interest in, in, in forcing brokers to curb conflicts of interest. Now, these blue states probably uh, uh, give the benefit of the doubt to the, to the SEC with a 3-2 Democratic majority and Gary Gensler as chair. Sure. Interesting. Gosh, it is. Uh, it's it's always fun to you know to watch how these events evolve uh, because you know you're looking at uh, like you said Nevada and New Jersey and uh, you know how how blue states how they would align with the administration and make things you know uh, can can make things hard or difficult and it sounds like uh, mm -hmm. sounds like they may uh, they may take a path that will. Um, make things align a little easier. And ultimately for a registered rep doing business in those states uh, may make things a little more, a little less challenging, a little less confrontational. Maybe so. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll have to see, but the states are, uh, I, I, you know, this, this reminds me, I need to put uh, qu questions out to the New Jersey and Nevada securities departments and Get an update on where they yeah, are. Perfect <laughs> on their rules. Awesome. So. Awesome. Well, it's yeah. good. To, all right. Well, uh, yeah. well, uh, I wanted to I wanted to segue there and talk to you a little bit about tax policy. You haven't written too much on that. Mm -hmm. I, I keep track of you on mm -hmm. uh, uh, investment news, Ooh. but I but I wanted to get your perspective on what's taking place on Capitol Hill. The you know the the Biden administration has talked about raising taxes, and Janet Yellen recently mm -hmm. said that tax increases would be needed to pay for some of the stimulus. Uh, we hear about uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren pushing for uh, a wealth tax, which has its share of critics out there. So kind of give, give right. us your perspective on what may be coming down the road on taxes and what initiatives looks like they have legs and what look like they're really just being floated out as trial balloons. Right. I, perhaps we'll all learn more on Wednesday when President Biden gives a speech about infrastructure right. and, and perhaps also climate change. It, it looks as if there are going to be two different packages, an infrastructure package and, a, and a, well, two different packages. One could be infrastructure and climate, or one could be just infrastructure. It could, the other one could be climate and other uh, human um, services uh, policies. But it does look like two big packages for a, um, a total of about $3 trillion. And it has to be paid for, especially if uh, the Democrats use the so-called reconciliation process right. where they can avoid a Senate filibuster, then they need to pay for all of these new programs. So that brings us to tax increases. The, what, what I'll be watching for is does, does Joe Biden, uh, the, the Joe Biden we saw on the campaign trail carry the day, that is uh, tax increases for people who make more than $400,000 a year, raising the individual uh, tax rates for them, raising the capital gains rate to ordinary income rates uh, for people who make more than a million dollars. Those are two uh, items that uh, Biden promoted on the campaign trail. Or will there be a wealth tax along the line of what uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren introduced a couple of, of weeks ago, a 1% uh, on uh, tax on wealth above um, uh, 
50, 50 million, billion, 50 million. Million, oh, right. sorry, yep. million, $50 million. I get my B's and M's. It's, it's easy to do. <laughs> above, above $50 million. And then a, a 2% tax. Or is it the other way around? It's two. I don't have the bill in front of me. I think it's a 2% tax on $50 million and above. Uh, a $50 million to a billion, 3% on more than a billion. I, I believe that's I, I think bill. you're right. Yep. So yep. Do, do we do we see something like that? Uh, it... it um, the administration releases each year what's called a green book. Uh, the Treasury puts out a green book, which gives you um, uh, it's a compendium of um, uh, uh, fiscal policies. And that's where you see a lot of the um, uh, tax proposals that an administration is going to roll out. We haven't seen the green book yet. I'm not sure when it's due. We're, we're more likely probably to see the tax proposals in uh, either Biden's speech or in rollouts by administration officials. But um, raising taxes on the wealthy is almost a, a certainty. Mm -hmm. And uh, the question is, will enough moderate Democrats stay on board for that to get a, a package through the House and the Senate? Remember, the House is narrowly divided as well. Yep. Nancy Pelosi only has a margin of a few seats to work with. So if there are enough moderate Democrats in the House and enough moderate Democrats in the Senate who are uncomfortable with the tax increases, they're not going to go anywhere, even under reconciliation. That's the challenge that President Biden has in front of him. So I would say the odds of uh, the the of the of the ordinary rates going up for people making more than four hundred thousand, and for capital gains uh, for going up for people who make more than a million, those have a pretty good those have a really good chance. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's tax uh, wealth tax. Uh, maybe somewhere medium to, you know, 50-50 or less. And and the thing that seems to be losing air, losing momentum is a financial transaction. It does, tax. right? You're right. That that seems to be that seems to be tailing off. That that was something that was uh pushed by Warren and um Senator Sanders uh during their presidential campaigns. It's something that uh President Biden has never fully embraced and and that seems to cause a split among Democrats, um, as well as well, Republicans are against all tax increases, basically, not to put too fine a point sure. on it. But I, I can't imagine that, a, that a, a Republican member of Congress is going to vote yay on, on a tax increase package. So, you're, so the, the game is really going to be played on the Democratic side. And, um, and the Democrats to watch are, are people like Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Senator John Tester of Montana, uh, the folks in the middle, uh, Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona, on the House side, uh, Representative Jim Hines of Connecticut, people like that are going to be the uh, the important votes on tax increases. Yeah, Joe Manchin, a lot of lot of lot of a lot of trains run through that station at this point. It feels like <laughs> you just it's amazing. I, I still have to I have to say I'm still analog in many ways and. Uh, there was a front page story in the Sunday New York Times about how much power Joe Manchin is going to have in the um, in the in the uh, uh, in the Senate this year or for the this Congress over the next two years. And it is kind of interesting why he would be against removing the filibuster, because, boy, if they remove the filibuster, he's got enormous power all of a sudden. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's so. interesting, and you know the uh, I I would agree with you on the capital gains and the uh, the tax over four hundred thousand. It's it's um, it it's kind of like the estate tax. Whenever there's a change on that, it affects so few people 
that it's hard right. to it's hard to rally support on the other side. And I think uh, at this point, it it, uh, it, it seems as, uh, you know, elections have consequences and it seems like this is one of them. Uh, I would think a Republican running for uh, the all the Republicans running for the House and then the, the Republican senators who are running for reelection in this cycle would just be it would just be a death wish to vote for a tax increase. I mean, they might get a primary competition yeah, over that. I agree. So, you know, President Biden is not going to get any help from the Republican side on increasing taxes, I don't I don't think. Although I have to give my caveat caveat at this point. I've been living and working in Washington now for <laughs> it'll be it'll be 29 years on April 1st. Holy cow. And what what surprises me is how often I'm surprised. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but um uh yeah, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun to um, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, it, it you know uh, politics is a tough business, and uh, uh, this uh, uh, what's coming down the road is is going to be uh, very challenging for quite a few. Um, well, well, let's take a let's take a break from there because I wanted to jump over to ESG investing for a bit. I noticed you, that's something mm-hmm. uh, that uh, seems to be a passion of yours. You've written quite a bit about it. Well, it's a, a passion for. Uh, certainly, my my publication, Investment News, and uh, our our owner, Bond Hill Group, which is a, a British uh, uh, publishing and and events uh, and um, data firm. Gotcha. Uh, ESG is uh, is a focal point for our coverage because it is becoming so central, not just to investing, but really to public policy in general. And especially during the Biden administration, climate is at the heart, going to be at the heart of of what most government agencies and most Capitol Hill committees do over the next year. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's yeah. uh, um, it has got huge momentum behind it. I think the uh, uh, the last right. time I checked, uh, three hundred and eleven of the five hundred companies in the S and P have. ESG rules and guidelines. Uh, I, I'm old mm-hmm. enough to remember when uh, Amy Domini was the lone voice in the right. wilderness talking about socially responsible investing. Um, mm-hmm. So many companies have adopted these policies. How do you see regulators uh, or, or Washington kind of either complementing the trend? Are they, could they get in the way of the trend or will this trend, um, is it becoming more self-fulfilling just because investors are looking for it, companies are pursuing it? Do, does regulation need to help it? Will it help it, hurt it? Kind of give us your thoughts on that. Sure. The government focus on climate and ESG, let me be more specific. The SEC's focus on climate and ESG will accelerate uh, the, um, the the momentum in that area because you said three three hundred and some companies yeah, three hundred eleven uh, out of three hundred eleven well they're doing that voluntarily are, right so the, so the the SEC might be um, or the SEC tends looks to be headed toward requiring climate and ESG disclosures uh, certainly that is what acting chair Allison Heron Lee uh, has has been been driving at maybe not in so many words but reading between the lines that's what she seems to be re- driving at uh, Gary Gensler in his Senate confirmation hearing on, on March second um, embraced enhanced ESG disclosures I mean, going beyond climate to 
um, diversity and um, um, political spending, corporate political spending, and so on. So this drive by the SEC is, uh, is just going to give more momentum to what already is growing investor demand uh, for uh, ESG um, d disclosure and uh, uh, ESG, the use of ESG factors in constructing portfolios. Gotcha. Yeah, it. it so, so the, go ahead. Well, the thing to, to look for is will the SEC actually do a rule? Mm. And and I, I think that's that's coming down the pike. I, it seems that that is what um, Gary Gensler would want to do. And uh, and and, um, uh, and and we may reach a point where uh, ESG disclosure is uh, is mandatory, not just voluntary. Right. Yeah, I, 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 you know, it's it's shocking to see sometimes just how um, how quickly and how rapidly it's taken over, and how uh, so many S and P companies now have that information um, included in their in in their in their quarterly statements. Um, how many are bracing it? Where the new money that's coming into investments? How it looks for an ESG bend before it comes in? It's not just coming in for the highest performer; it's coming in for the ones that that meet those mm -hmm. regulatory standards. And you know, you look at uh, uh, you know the the knock on ESG investing or social responsible investing for some time was they were limiting what they could invest in so they were limiting opportunities um, but that just doesn't mm -hmm. seem to be the case anymore no and and uh, there are um, a lot of analysts who are making the case that uh, the, and, and in fact it's not just analysts uh, acting SEC chair Lee the other day said there's no more separation between uh social good and market performance they're they're becoming one in the same right that if you're a good if you're a good actor on the on the global stage you're 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 probably also uh, producing a good return for your investors i'm paraphrasing sure. and extrapolating but <laughs> um th th that seemed to be what she was what she was driving at and um uh, uh there are um i talk to sources all the time who just uh, absolutely assert with with ontological certitude that um, uh, you, you know ESG is not uh, a matter of um, fulfilling a social political agenda. It it has to do with improving your retirement security because you're going to make more money on these investments. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. I, you know, when I, uh, I, I interviewed Amy Domini must've been, uh, you know, 25, 30 years ago and, uh, her mm -hmm. situation, she couldn't find companies to invest in. She was, like I said, that lone voice. Right. And now, uh, you, you, you almost would be hard to find a company that's not acknowledging ESG investing. Right. Absolutely. It is, um, uh, it is, uh, Pervasive. By the way, when the SEC was putting out, it seemed like a, a, a at least a, a statement a week, if not a faster pace, a couple of weeks ago about ESG. They were announcing an e, a climate and ESG task force and a, a a request for public comment on climate risk disclosures and so on. And this was all being done by the acting chair, Allison Heron Lee. I mean, Gary Gensler hasn't even gotten there yet. And the SEC is going full bore on ESG and they created 
a, a special a position, a special staff position uh, that just focuses on ESG policy. Anyway, it reminded me of something that a uh, that that the, the former minister of a, of a church I attend told a group of youngsters at a um, during a, a children's sermon. He would ask a question, and they were to all be bashful and not answer. And he told them, "Look, if you get a question during a children's sermon, the answer is almost always Jesus." Well, at the SEC, at the SEC, we're kind of in the same situation. The answer is always ESG. <laughs> <laughs> no, no matter. No matter what the topic, answer ESG, and you're probably going to be right. So. <laughs> That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Uh, all right, Mark, let's do this. I, I haven't done this before, but let's finish up the podcast today with a quick kind of q and I'll, I'll throw a topic out, and you give me a 30-second answer on. You willing? You ready? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. All to right. Go. Uh, so first one, uh, do, you, do you have your own SPAC yet? Uh, what's next for SPACs? Do you, I, I mean, I, I don't have a SPAC, but, uh, I, I think Jennifer Lopez does. I'm certain Alex Rodriguez does. And I'm pretty sure, uh, Serena Williams does all, all the kids have a SPAC. What do you think is coming for this group? I, I'm sorry to report. I do not have a SPAC yet and I don't plan on investing in a SPAC. I will stick to index funds. Thank you very much. But the SEC uh, is paying closer attention to SPACs, and uh, Acting Chair Lee said a couple of weeks ago that um, the agency is reviewing them. It's uh, asking questions. It's it's looking into questions about structure and structural and disclosure issues. And there were reports in um, uh, national publications uh, uh, about. Um, a uh, an SEC, SEC inquiry is going to SPACs uh, over the last couple of weeks. Interesting. So it looks as if the SEC is doing some information gathering about SPACs. And I would guess that Gary Gensler is going to address SPACs uh, sometime within the first uh, couple of months of his confirmation. Got it. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Any, any yeah. update on independent advisors being employees, becoming employees, the requirement? As long as the Senate maintains the filibuster, that won't be happening. The PRO Act passed the House on a party line vote a couple of weeks ago, and now it's stuck at the Senate door because there is no way that uh, 60, that that would garner 60 votes in the Senate. That would require all 50 Democrats and 10 Republicans. There are not 10 Republicans who will support that. There may not be 10 Republicans in the country who support it, let alone in the Senate. So the, uh, the PRO Act, which would make organizing easier and which would make it more difficult for companies to uh, define employees as independent contractors, um, is probably going to die uh, in the Senate unless the Senate changes its filibuster rules. Got it. All right. Wall, Wall Street bets. Game changer or fast moving fad? What do you think? It'll be a game changer. If you're talking about regulation, it'll be a game changer, but it'll take a while for the regulation to manifest itself. And by the time the regulation is put in place, we might forget what Wall Street bets sure. was. This will probably be a long slog, but um, the the, the um, SEC under Gensler is going to, I'm sure, address this and payment for order flow will be reviewed uh, as well as other aspects of the uh, GameStop trading frenzy. So I say it is a game changer, but on a long time. Gotcha. 
All right. How about uh, let's uh, let me come back with Robin Hood. Is that uh, filling a niche not served by the industry, or is it uh, uh, is it going to is it uh, is is it in a good place or a bad place at this point, Robin Hood? I I believe it's in a safe place in Washington because Robin Hood has put a lot of money and effort into beefing up its uh, um, uh, lobbying and uh, legal staff and its Washington presence. And this idea that it is a, a portal, uh, not, not a portal to, to introduce first-time investors to the market is, is a, uh, a message that is probably going to gain traction mm, on Capitol Hill. Again, watch the moderate Democrats. The Republicans are going to salute that flag. They're already saluting that flag when it's run up the poll. The question is, uh, what will the moderate Democrats do? And I think that they may be moved by that, uh, that argument. I, Robin Hood is probably in a fairly safe place, not to say that it, it, it won't be, there won't be perhaps new regulations from the SEC. Perhaps there will be legislation Although legislation couldn't get over, couldn't get past the filibuster in the Senate, but anyway, there may be bills introduced and so forth. But but Robin Hood probably uh, minimizes uh, any damage coming out of Washington. Gotcha. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's jump to Bitcoin. You know, Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell isn't a big fan. Either is uh, Charlie Munger, who works with Warren Buffett. Right. What do you how do you how do regulators see the cryptocurrencies? Well, the, Gary Gensler is the wild card mm -hmm. here because he um, uh, covered uh, cryptocurrency in the class that he taught up at MIT, and he has become an expert on cryptocurrency. His interest in that issue aligns him with Hester Peirce, a Republican SEC member. Interesting alliance there. They both probably would like to see a regulatory framework around cryptocurrency. Uh, they both would probably like to see um, better def a better definition, regulatory definition of what cryptocurrency is. And they both probably uh, want to um, address a Bitcoin ETF. Ah, so, so look for, get, look for Gensler. Most votes um, in the SEC, many are going to be 3-2, the three Democrats for and the two Democrats against. But when it comes to cryptocurrency, maybe there'll be a 4-1 or a 5-0 vote. Because Hester Peirce over there on the Republican side also wants to address this. Gotcha. Good stuff. Okay, last one in the fast pitch section. Uh, the SEC's new advertising rule. The SEC, not, yes. not to be left behind, changed the rule after 40 years. Good <laughs> good for them. <laughs> Actually, after 60 it wasn't years, 60. The, the, the advertising rule hadn't been changed since 1960. The solicitation rule was 41 years, hadn't been changed since 79. But um, uh, look, the, 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 the rule has gone into effect. Uh, the implementation date is November uh, 4th, I believe, of 2022. So advisory firms have 18 months to uh, comply with this uh, rule, and experts are telling them, urging them to get started now because they'll have to change their approach to, to um, uh, uh, um, uh, complying uh, their approach to, to advertising and marketing because this is a principles-based rule that allows 
of, um, for instance, um, third-party endorsements, right. and uh, and it, it allows uh, social media uh, um, likes and 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 so forth, and it it um, it brings advisory advisor advertising into the 21st century, but it does it in a principles in a principles-based rule, which means uh, you have to you have to make sure that you're meeting certain anti-fraud standards. But um, uh, beyond that, you need to uh, figure out how to um, how to comply, and uh, and it could be tricky. So advisory firms are are uh, are being uh, urged to to get to work on it right now. Good stuff. Yeah, I've I've always thought it odd that I can go to Yelp and find more about a plumber than I can find about somebody I'd give my retirement money to. But um, uh, I'm glad I'm glad we're moving in the right direction. That's all you can hope for. Absolutely. But as you move into the, in that direction, there are regulatory risks for advisors, and uh, they better be prepared for uh, November of 2022. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mark, thanks so much. The great mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, great stuff. Great perspective. Uh, really up to date on what's going on in Washington. It should be an exciting year for regulation. But uh, you know, some good, some bad. But you know, I think the uh, you know the the industry has uh, been really conditioned to rules changing over the recent years. So uh, appreciate you taking time out today. Hey, Mike, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Mark, have a good day. And uh, thanks, listeners. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.